Hello friends, before we get started on this next amazing episode, I just wanted to give a short shout out to our team at MetalCloak, the group that makes this podcast possible. From engineering to production, from marketing to sales, from accounting to HR, every member of the MetalCloak family works diligently every day to bring some of the world's best products to the off-road enthusiast. Designed, engineered, proven, MetalCloak. That is not just a clever cadence written by me, but a true statement of what we do every day and why we truly appreciate each and every one of you. If you are looking for something for your Jeep, Ram, Bronco, or Toyota, give us a try. We are here to help. And now, on to another amazing episode of the Modern Jeeper Show. And we kind of have it synchronized. I turn on the locker, he puts it in mode one, and he actually repeats back to me, all right, you're in rock mode. And that lets me know that he got the setting right. And he's doing the verification to make sure that the setting's in. But there's there's one more thing that we have in the car besides that, which is basically the oh shit buttons. <laughs> and... <laughs> The Modern Jeeper Show, the show about Jeeps, Jeeping, and Jeepers. Hello, Modern Jeepers. Matt's from Medical Care, and welcome to episode 215 of The Modern Jeeper Show. Corey and Jesse are still running across the country on CTI Tour 2023 and should be in Daytona for Jeep Beach by the time you hear this podcast. So this week is just me and our guest, three-time King of the Hammers winner, Jeeper, friend, and collaborator, Jason Shear. We talk the Rubicon Trail, mountains of snow, and when we will finally make it in, King of the Hammers and struggling to make second place, using CO2 to power your lockers instead of a compressor, building a $700,000 race car, and what it's like running a new car at KOH with selectable electronic suspension systems. Yes, it has an oh shit button. We also hit on the incredible KOH edition Broncos and why some say this is the Bronco that Ford should have made. To get the full experience, including seeing our big smiling faces, check out the video at youtube.com slash modern cheaper. Subscribe too, please. As always, we are incredibly grateful for this episode to our supporters and friends, including Warren Winches, Raceline Wheels, Best Top, Milestar Tires, Rugged Radios, Nacho Lighting, Adventure Rack Systems, and of course, Metal Cloak. And friends, truly, if you like this episode, we'd be so grateful if you subscribed to the pod, told your friends about it, and gave us a nice review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Now, sit back, relax with the cold one, and enjoy episode 215 of the Modern Cheaper Show. Well, hey, Modern Jeepers, this is another episode of the Modern Jeepers Show with me, Matson from Metal Cloak, and this is when I would normally be introducing Corey and Jesse, but as you can see, if you're watching us on YouTube, they're not here, and if you're listening to us, well, you hear me talking with who is our guest, which is Jason Shear, three-time king, friend, I mean, there's so many things that I can just label off who Jason Shear is, but he's, he's with us, we're going to dive right into it, no preamble, uh, let's just go for the show. Hey, Jason, thanks for being here. Hey, what's up, Matson? How are you been? I'm sorry that the rest of the team isn't here, but it's always good to talk to you, and I'm glad we had a chance to be on today. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, Corey and Jesse, they're in the midst of it. They are going cross-country at CTI Tour 2023, and unlike last year where I think we, we kind of got relaxed a little bit with the CTI Tour and did a lot more of these other adventures, this year it's back into it. So it is stop after stop after stop. It's going to, like, they're on their way to Jeep Beach, but all on the way, they're doing other shops. They're also visiting jobbers. So 
yeah, they got a lot on their plate. So it was okay for me to, to take off and go, you know, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. I'll get Jason on because him and I can chat. Well, I'm a little jealous, you know, if you uh, know the NorCal weather, we haven't had any spring or summer yet. Right. And so those guys <laughs> heading to Jeep Beach, I'm jealous. Well, I'll tell you, and that's them escaping from Colorado because Colorado has been just Mm -hmm. like it has been here in in California. Corey sent me a picture just before they left, and once again, snow was coming down. It's crazy weather. Well, hey, it's turning the corner, but I think it's going to be a late summer for for some Rubicon trips. I know that um, we had Father's Day trips. We had some other trips, and I think those might be on hold this year. Uh, We'll see. We'll see. It's going to melt quick if it gets warm, but it's it's not warm yet. I mean, uh, talked to my co-driver Jason Berger the other day, and I go, "How's everything up there?" He goes, "It's good. It's 19, I'm like 19 <laughs> degrees still." So you don't get a lot of snow melt when that happens. No, I mean it's crazy. I think there's already a pool forming as to when the first time you're actually able to go in. I mean, let's go back to you know the Carpenters when uh, when they got married. And I remember that year because they went in in June to check things out and it was still, the Springs was still like under three feet of water, right? All the way back to the bar. And then I think they went back in a couple of weeks later and it started draining out, but I don't, what's going to be like this year? I mean, what is it going to be like at Jeepers Jamboree? We just had friends of the Rubicon here on Saturday holding their annual meeting at our, at our facility. And that's the question. Like, when is it going to be open enough to be able to, can you do Jeepers Jamboree late July? And is it going to be cleared out enough? Or is it going to be so much melt that it's just going to be a flood? What's Cadillac going to be like? Well, you know, the thing that's good news is it always melts in sort of the same fashion, right? Like it sort of melts the snow to a certain level and then the water clears out after it dries up a little bit. But yeah, we had internal bets. We had the, the bet where one of our guys said, hey, we're planning this trip. And of course, somebody in our group said, yeah, good luck. You're not going to make it through. And the next thing you know is, oh, yeah, well, I made it through on Memorial Day one year. And you're like, "Uh uh-huh. Okay, cool. (laughs) And so, you know, those bets are still standing right now with some of them. Um, I'm not really, you know, I I think that I've lost my competition on being the first guy to the Springs or the first guy to uh, Buck or something. But I did, you know, just a few years ago was still there in that mindset and had to get Mm. down there. But no, it's, it's all good. And I think it'll be... Hey, I've turned into an October wheeler anyway. It's like my favorite time. It's chill on the trail. There's not a lot of people. The mm. weather's cold. I love cold water, can- you know, cold uh, mornings and evenings and stuff out there. So, you know, to me, either way, it's all good. Uh, but I'm looking forward to it this summer for sure. My kids love it right now. They're all excited to go. But in the meantime, we've been we've been doing a lot of mountain biking with them and uh, having some fun. So How old are your kids? I got a 14-year-old daughter who's been going to horse shows uh, and competing in that. And my son and I just got back from uh, from the Sea Otter Classic last weekend uh, down mm. in uh, Laguna Seca in Monterey. And my the race car was at the Fox booth. And we raced downhill. And my nephew, Connor Clifford, Lance Clifford's son, did, yeah. uh, did downhill and dual psalm and he got a third in both of those and my son jackson got a third in the downhill so wow uh, they're in different age brackets obviously but uh yeah it was cool so had a good time we've been racing and competing everywhere yeah <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome yeah. well it's in your blood obviously yeah apparently I guess we- it's it's apparently it is i didn't realize it until i had kids and i was like well <laughs> you know my daughter had this horse show and i came home from uh being on a work trip and i I got home late and uh, she's standing over me at 3.45 in the morning and she said, I said I wanted to leave at four, not wake up at four. And I'm like, <laughs> wow. 
okay let's wow. go you know so she's wow. uh she's hardcore and that's uh, awesome it's good it's good but you know you can't i don't think you can parent the drive the kids either have it or they don't but they've seen it and so they know what it takes and i think it's good for them to to have that little bit of drive to go compete and try to win and, and be good at what you do so it's cool yeah. having fun with that's- it that's awesome. Yeah. My boy, the boy, Jack, he's, um, uh, he's very much that way. He's driven to learn, right. Was the first one. He's the middle child, but he was the first one to figure out he was four years old or three and a half year old when he told me to take the, the training wheels off of his bike and forced me to do it. Dad, take these off. I'm like, yeah, you sure take them off dad. Okay, good. And then 45 minutes later, he teaches himself how to ride and he wants to do everything. He wants to do everything. Let's do baseball. Let's do soccer. Let's do all of it. Yeah, there's, and then I took him out to the races because we just had the medical shootout out here at NorCal, which we missed you at. But um, he went out there in races and he's watching these kids in the 170s that are his height. And I went, no shit, life's going to get very expensive. Yes, it is. But good times for sure. Absolutely. How old so, is Jack? Uh, Jack is five now. Um, okay. Yeah, Jack, Josh is six. Uh, he, Jack is five. Vivian is three. Yeah, so they got time. But yeah. they, they want it all now. Let's do it. Let's do it. And of course, it's okay. Plan it out. Plan it out. So, hey, we don't have a lot of time because I know you're on a schedule and I really appreciate you being out here with us and and taking this time and with all of our listeners. But let's touch on a couple of different things. First, I want to hit King of the Hammers. You know, a little recap on that. Obviously, it it was a great race. Everybody enjoyed it. We've talked a little bit about it. But what was this year like? Well, a lot of stuff this year. You know, we we the race was incredible. It's always fun to bring a new car out there you know i i've said this and i don't i don't know if it if it registers to everybody but when you do build a new car and you sit there and decide what parts what layout where you're gonna you know make changes what what you're gonna do geometry wise tuning wise you do all this stuff and you go out and you test in it and you practice and you work out some of the bugs that you might or might have and we certainly did and you go through all those steps it's just you in the car against the desert and you might think you're fast but you never really know what the car's speed is until you're kind of competing with somebody else in that position and so you know it wasn't until qualifying that you're like well let's find out if the new car's fast or if it's just feels fast from the inside right and so we went out there and, and got another uh front row start and it was like okay this this thing's a this thing's a rocket ship because I didn't run a perfect line. Um, I'm still getting used to it. And in fairness, some rocks moved around in the different lines between what I saw and when I went out there and it just caught me a little off guard. And so we, we had to make some adjustments, but no excuses. It was still a great run and, and had a lot of fun with it. And then got into the race. And I can tell you this for sure is that first lap, we hadn't even broken a sweat. We were calm, cool, and collected out there running in the lead. And it was like, this car is incredible. Unfortunately, you know, we still did have some new car bugs. You know, we had some engine issues as the race went on. We, we had a, quite a few issues. Uh, we, we ran without a locker. I think we did something interesting, which was like, I think we got liquid CO2 into the line and ruptured the uh, internal air seal inside the locker because we had the bottle at an angle and so when we were kind of tilted and we actuated the locker, it drew liquid into it and overpressurized the system. So kind of unique. Talk about that real quick, because you're using CO2 on your lockers. for You're not using a compressor. Right. And <laughs> there's a lot of reasons for it. I haven't really had any bugs from it before. You know, we, we, we get so many actuations out of the CO2 bottle, a little jet pack from Power Tank that we've 
we've been able to run that thing for you know <laughs> a couple of seasons at a time on one bottle right so wow. um it's incredible how how far they go we have actually change it every year for the race because we need you know to make sure that we're we've got plenty but i bet you it would do four or five hundred actuations and and since we're only doing you know uh a quick little burst on for the rock trail and then off and sometimes they stay on between the rock trails and stuff we're not we're not using it that many times, maybe 20 times during a race or something. And, and it, it goes, you know, so many times, but what it does, that's the trick is that it's instantly adding the power. So it instantly locks and engages that, that collar. And there's a reason that that matters. The, the teeth on those, when you ramp them up on an air compressor, they engage and the air pressure builds and it slowly engages that, you know, side gear all the way in to lock the, the the rest of it into being in position what happens is if you are slow on it and then you start to put in power you don't get the teeth all the way engaged in that side gear and the it starts to develop a little lip and from the gear pushing against it and then every time it gets to that spot it might not pass it so now you're just getting a kind of like a, a very little area of contact patch and that's where guys are breaking their air lockers they're breaking that gear and eventually that gear just kind of dissolves into nothing and they think oh i that whole engagement gear just destroyed itself right and it's like well it actually started way sooner because your air compressor was slow to ramp up the pressure or you what they were saying originally was crash locking which is like you're spinning the tire and then you turn the locker on and it engages but you know you're really just getting the edge of the teeth to touch on that you're not getting it to go all the way in and be really a good contact patch so what we've been doing is using that power tank we actually ramp the pressure up above the fact we go to like 170 pounds and just go and all the way in and so uh, we're getting that full engagement and i'm really cautious about not using it when i get to the rock but rather a few feet before it turn it on make sure it's locked in and then you hit the rocks and you're good I really like it. I just think that what we did is we had mounted it vertically, uh, horizontally, mm. and we didn't think about it until we were like, "Oh, that doesn't work." Uh, <laughs> you know, you can't you can't get the CO two to turn into a gas when it's going to be, you know, flat. And so we made a little just to you know it fit really well right there, but it doesn't make a lot of sense. So anyway, mm. little details. So and you run lockers just in the front or in, in or just in the how, front. And yeah. the rear is just. Well, and, you know, not everybody's like that. A lot of guys like it in the rear as well, and they run a cutting brake. We built this car to have more steering angle. And so we gave up some suspension travel in order to gain steering angle. And so we can turn 45 degrees in this car, which is incredible for an IFS car, but it doesn't have quite as much suspension travel as some of the other cars. Now, if you have the steering, you don't need the cutting brakes you know, we can just navigate around the rocks without actually having to pull on it. But like Shannon's running about 32 to 35 degrees of steering and he runs a cutting brake, he gets more front travel, but he can pull that cutting brake, turn and roll around a rock. And, and, you know, we don't even run an Atlas anymore in our car. Ours is locked all the time, front and rear with the SCS case. And uh, it's just simple, right? Like we don't have low range. We just have a low first gear in the transmission we get to the rock trails, you go into first gear and you drive through the rock trails, you get back out in the desert and you just go second, third, fourth, and you're, you're out there ripping along. There's, it's simplified a lot. You know, there's wow. no, all right, neutral, low range, high range, back and forth. Right. It's just, you know, right. boom, boom, boom. And yeah, at the end of the day, it's, it's sort of like a more calm feeling in the car, a little bit less to do. 
maybe a little bit less exciting because Berger's not over there banging the shifters for me and trying to be in time. We're like, oh, we're so good together. You know, it's like we lost a little of that fun, but I'll take it for just the peace of mind to just kind of cruise the trail. So um, the only thing we have to turn on and off is the, is the air locker. And, you know, it's pretty easy. But that, with that, the new car has some uh, has some buttons on the steering wheel that you can play with. It has different modes on the suspension now with the shock settings. So uh there's plenty to do Burgers different modes in the suspension wait a second like i can't yeah, let you go past that different modes tell me about that so that was our biggest change and i i do think that's obviously we put in portals in the front and i think a lot of people are familiar with portals they're great yeah. they're they're really nice for the ifs car builds because they they're, they're, they're the making a comeback angle. because you know, it was yeah. 10 12 years ago all of a sudden everybody was building portals dynatrack had portal axles and that's kind of lasted for about a year and then disappeared but they seem to be back I, now stronger than ever my co-driver Jason Berger had a portal to Bronco, you know, and I'm like, well, we haven't come very far in 15 or so years. You know? <laughs> <laughs> We're still in a portal Bronco. <laughs> so, you know, what do you say? But uh, no, it's, it's true. Um, they've made a, a big resurgence and it's because it, it simplifies the CV angle on the front and mm. it allows you to have a reduced uh, angle because you're getting that four and a half inches of ground clearance right at the, at the knuckle. And so the, the whole ground clearance aspect of it in the front, especially the front is really, you know, game changing for these IFS cars. And, and I really do think it was a much better layout of the chassis because you don't have to have that drop between the transfer case and the front end to get the height across the belly. So the cars have like a much flatter bottom to them, less angles in the, in all the uh, drive line. You know, we used to have quite a big drop between the, the engine transmission transfer case and then down to the front diff was a steep angle. And, and now that we've reduced that to about an inch and a half of difference, the, the you know, the drive lines just don't, they don't, we don't wear out a U joint every time we drive the car kind of thing anymore. So mm-hmm. it's kind of nice. But as far as the suspension goes, I would say that's the biggest game changer in, you know, ultra four right now, um, obviously, you know, we had some engine issues. We didn't really get to showcase how crazy good the car was, but you know, the one thing I can say is had we not had those issues, I could erase the race again on Sunday because it's so nice to drive the car. It doesn't beat you up and it, it does some amazing things. So for instance, the Fox live valve has, we have five settings in the car, but we primarily use three of them. We have a rock mode, a nuisance rock mode, which is all the little chatter stuff <laughs> between the trails, which we call nuisance rocks. And, and so, you know, almost every hammers trails leads in with, you know, a ton of little loose rocks that are, you know, basically bowling ball size or bigger. And they, they go all the way up to where you get to the obstacles. And that mode is basically just open up the, the bypass valves and let everything float. And so the car just eats everything in its path. You couldn't use that like in whoops very well or something because it would just kind of like bounce from top to bottom through it. So then you have mode three, which is basically our desert mode. Four and five were kind of like qualifying modes and different uh, different uh, scenarios. But for instance, if we did a lot of desert racing in that car, you could have a mode, say, for a lake bed where you put all the rebound into it. And every time you hit a bump, the car would basically get lower and lower and lower to reduce aero lift on it. And then you know, go a little quicker across the lake bed and have a lower center of gravity. So you can do whatever you want with them on the programming. Um, but we primarily focused on three modes. And so when we get to the rocks, 
Jason's first job is to turn it into, and we kind of have it synchronized. I turn on the locker, he puts it in mode one, and he actually repeats back to me, all right, you're in rock mode. And that lets me know that he got the setting right. And he's doing the verification to make sure that the setting's in. But there's there's one more thing that we have in the car besides that, which is basically the oh shit buttons. <laughs> and it is so awesome because we have you learned how to use it so the car can be tuned to be nice and soft but then when you see a g out coming you hold the button down on the steering wheel and we've tricked that even with like you know you can hold the brake down because everything now is dynamic so the the car knows that you have uh brake pedal input so if you hit the brakes it adds compression to the front and rebound to the rear and it's based on how much brake pressure is built. So there's a pressure switch inside the brake system now that says, okay, you've got 1,100 PSI of brake. We're going to go full compression in the front. It almost trips me out because when you hit the brakes, the car doesn't dive anymore, and it just kind of skids across the desert. And so we've been working on getting the right ratio of how much it dives because sometimes I like it to dive to set me into a corner. And so we're we're playing with like the dynamics of that stuff to try to get it better and tuned in for myself. But um, it has yaw control, so there's a steering wheel input sensor where you've got like a gear on the steering column now and a little potentiometer that goes back and forth. And when you turn the wheel, it knows how much steering input that was, and it adds compression to the opposite corner and rebound to the opposite side, so it acts like a sway bar so the car doesn't lean in. And they're dramatic. They're uh, they're kind of like a Raptor where you can put it in modes, except that it's on the bypass tube, so the mode and the change is is huge. You feel every bit of the change. It's like, wow. I mean, if you put it in the wrong mode and you hit a speed bump, it's like, <laughs> you know, and then you put it in the other mode and you don't feel the speed bump, and you're like, um, this is this is wild, like just the differences wow. between it. I had so, no idea the, the level. Yeah. There was a reason why I got out of racing a little while ago. <laughs> I mean, even... But I had no idea the complexity, the, the amount of electronics now that you've got in these cars. I mean, that's just crazy because I would think, you know, in my mind, I would think the more electronics you put in, the more chance in that environment of something going wrong. These aren't exactly being driven, you know, on, on city streets. Right. And so and, you're, and you're more right. and more. I mean, it, it's it just is. you're out there. You're, you're harding it running hard. It just seems like it's one more thing. I mean, what's the redundancy you have in these systems? And what happens if that if like if that selectable system goes out? Does everything still work fine? I mean, that's where my mind goes. That sucks. It fails open. We kind of check that out because it's electronic. So if it if it doesn't have any if it doesn't have any compress like if it doesn't have any control on the electronic solenoids they fail open which is basically a nice feeling for the nuisance rocks but it would just be rough and <laughs> bumpy so we'd, we'd have a rough trip it would be old school we lost it but you know it's a bosch ecu it's a pretty robust system you know you got to think that's that's what's in most race i mean i think either bosch Bosch is probably the most common race computer in the in the world, but then Motec falls right behind it, which Motec was just purchased by Bosch. So I think, you know, it, overall, it's a fairly reliable computer. There's an IMU in the middle of the car, which is a, a motion-controlled sensor, and it knows the attitude of the car at all times. And so it's trying, if you will, to keep it level. And so no matter what happens to the car... The IMU is basically saying, oh, I'm, I'm doing the yacht control on this, and it's, it's coming out of level, and I want to try to get it back there by using the shocks. For instance, if I'm in low range, in, which I'm not, I'm just in first gear, but it has a speed control. So if I'm under 15 miles an hour, and I'm going to go do a climb, it's going to hold the rebound on the front shocks 
so that the car doesn't lift up on the acceleration of the climb. And the IMU senses that I'm starting to go up that climb, which is why it does that to the shock. And so there's there's a lot of dynamics going on and there's a lot of sensors. So if you were to lose a sensor like that, it could be a really difficult day on the rest of the race. And and, and I think what you'd, you'd lose is, and this is a, super interesting. So the top racers that got the system early on, not all of them loved it. And I know why, because while it's better, the top drivers knew what they wanted their car to do and they could manipulate the car to do what they wanted. Now they have to trust that they're going to have the car make those changes for them automatically. Mm. It, and it reminds me, Matson, it reminds me of the, the manual transmissions versus the sequential. Gearbox. I was just thinking, I was just thinking that. And, and it's, it's like almost a, a funny, like, okay, here's a, here's another throwback conversation, solid axle or IFS manual mm-hmm. or, or sequential. You get in a PDK car, or like a new Porsche seven speed, eight speed, you know, whatever transmission, nobody can shift that fast. There's nobody on the earth that can shift that fast, that consistently. But Porsche has huge demand for the manual six or seven speed transmission right. still because people want that raw enjoyment of driving. And I think that it's going to take a little bit of time for some of those top guys to adapt. The one thing I can tell you, though, is that it's going to make the masses enjoy off-road racing more because it's easier and more forgiving and it does a better job than most people can do. So I think it'll... It's not a thing. It's going to be the future of suspension on that stuff. So it's a cost factor too, though. It's a cost factor because you're not just taking a, you know, the cars that you're building, the cars that are there, we wouldn't have, I don't, 10, 10, 15 years ago, we wouldn't have thought about this. We wouldn't have thought, we were just happy to have a buggy that actually could handle corners. You go out to NorCal rock racing back in the beginning, and it was just basically everybody's rock crawling buggy trying to go around a turn and they couldn't handle it. Right. And you, you, now we've got these rigs that are just incredibly different than when they were way back when. But what, so if you can, what did it cost to build this car this year? This one was about a little over 700,000 to build. So there's a deep, deep build. That, that, now I sold my old car to do it. And, and that who price that? doesn't, so that Brian Reed bought that car and, and he and, and Michael Mills are racing it together. They had a nice run at King of the Hammers. They finished the race. I think they had a weird issue early with a CV, which, I mean, it's so crazy because, like, we never had a CV issue in that car, and they lost the CV, like, early in the race, like 40 miles in or something weird, like, in the desert. Mm. And I'm like, huh. Yeah. So, you know, but, hey, I've had that, like, kind of, like, little things, too. It's in this, That's probably a part failure. Like, it was a bad part out of the box kind of deal because – in the desert and 40 miles to break a 30 series CV that's not being overextended or traveled. It's like, yeah, something <laughs> failed in that part, you know? Right. So, but it didn't help them much because that takes a couple hours kind of thing or an hour or so to fix, right? Or who knows how long it took them to get back to the pit and get back. So it was, it was funny when we lapped them. Cause I was like, man, I feel bad. That car's like a <laughs> contender. And then you find out they had some issues. They're having fun in it. They like the way it drives which is hard not to because it was an, it was a fantastic car and it was so well balanced, you know, that car had a great feel to it. And so they're the monkey with the knife guys and they're, they're really good, good people. And so, yeah. And a little bit of fun story is I played matchmaker with uh, his daughter, Bree and, and Bailey Campbell, uh, Bailey Cole and hooked up Bailey with Bree and now they're <laughs> together. So kind of cool. I love it when a little, you know, Cupid comes to town. It was good. That's, that's uh, awesome. 
Yeah. That's awesome. So, so now how That's much cool. of uh, this is for all intent and purposes, you are the Ford Bronco, one of the Ford Bronco guys, right? So how much of this car was built with that intention of using as much Ford as you could? Well, I mean, certainly the, the drivetrain and, and all that was really a big part of it and figuring out the engine program, which, you know, it's, it's painful. We, we were one of three guys running that engine basically at the hammers. And, you know, whenever you're in that, small percentage of stuff you you're gonna often be on the bleeding edge of stuff instead of the leading edge because you're you're cutting new ground and things fail and so just like the weirdest engine failure during the race where we just kept losing power losing power losing power losing power and as it turns out it's like the motor ate so much dirt because we ran an air filter that was that was from an industry supplier and it was allowing the silt that was just billowing behind the car. So now we didn't have much dirt in front of us. I mean, I like wiped my visor once during the whole race because we were in clean air. When we let it from the beginning of the race to the end, we lost an adjusted time, but we never really battled much dust. You know, we had a little bit at the end when we were getting stuck behind people because we didn't have any power again. And we were going much, much slower than our normal pace. But the damage had been done way sooner. So, you know, dirt kind of billows up and it, it's got a low pressure zone at the rear of the car so the car is going through the air and dirt kind of flails up behind you and mm. it it was getting in the engine and so the dirt went through the filter into the engines fouled up the plugs fouled up the o2 sensors oh wow to the point where you know the engine's destroyed i mean it you start it up now and it just makes smoke you know it's just basically a it's a smudge pot. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, um, that one's coming out and another one's going in right now. And um, we just waited until we were done with the Sea Otter so we could get the car stripped apart completely. And anyway, it it's like you just don't know these things until you go out and race them. And, oh, it's so frustrating. But, you know, well, you, have mean, to, you, you, you have to go it, learn. If you were, if I, if I didn't know the results and the way you're talking, it would sound like, well, you, they just didn't do very well. They didn't do very well, but you still came in second, even with all that oh, stuff. Yeah, we, we came in second and, and Raul never gave us a, any, any rope. You know what I mean? We, we couldn't get away right. from him. So, right. you know, it, it wasn't like we, we were the class of the field and we ran away from it. It was like, we had a battle all day when it came down to the end, we just didn't have anything left. And so we, we watched it slip away, but it was, a, it was the best race we've ever had. I mean, it's, it's like heartbreaking, but it was the best race, I think for the fans and from our side too, when we had really good communications in the car. So our team was getting us splits all the way through and the, the, the feed from the camera was great too, because they could kind of keep an eye on where Raul was, keep an eye where we were make sure there was nothing happening with like the 97th place guy that started in the back and all of a sudden was in like 16th and you're like, uh Oh, you know, so they were able to keep track of all these different elements as we went through. And then we had, you know, people that were just, you know, on the course with our radio channel and they'd be like, Hey, they just passed here. Okay. Raul's three minutes back. You guys are at two minutes and, you know, three minutes and 30 seconds on adjusted time, two minutes and 30 seconds. And it was just like, we knew exactly where we were in the race and that was wow, the most wow. fun thing ever, you know? So I, I got to thank all those guys right now on our team because the rage fourth guys are, I mean, they're awesome to have everybody to all together. I even have people from other teams that help us with like the splits, you know, um, Steven Watson from offered, um, and what is it? Uh, makes that awesome gearbox that I can't think of the name of it right now, but 
he he's out there on his dirt bike and he goes to places and gets us splits and it's just like we have all these friends all over the place you know ben bauer and all these guys they just stand out in the middle of the desert and give us splits so we know where we're at during the race and it's awesome you know having all that support um and and they're in the fan areas it's not like they're running off course somewhere but they're just out there in the fan areas helping and getting the comms to my guys so it's good it's good stuff but yeah the ford the ford thing's good the bronco is launched at the hammers that we uh we've spent a year and a half on and I know you're a big part of that project. So, um, you know, launching the King of the Hammers edition Bronco at King of the Hammers was kind of like an epic moment um, because it was the culmination of like all these years of racing and then being like, wow, we got a, you know, factory sponsor. Okay. We have like a, a real thing going on. And then um, to do that with Fox and, and have all the partners that made that vehicle have its personality, but also represent like what we wanted it to be for, you know, our first run of vehicles. I think that was probably like one of the highlights of the week, even though we had a great race. Yeah. It, it was definitely awesome to be a part of that too. Um, which, you know, part of my intro was, Hey, this, we're like business partners now. This is fun. Yeah. Um, you know, we've talked about doing that for a long time. So you, you just, so everybody knows the King of the Hammers edition was whose original idea was this and how did they come together? So it was my idea. Dave Cole came up to my shop one night and after you know a few fun ones we <laughs> a few fun <laughs> hours we we decided hey how come nobody's doing this and he said well ford is talking about doing a special edition king of the hammers you know bronco and i, I said that's awesome and i was like why wouldn't you do it like why wouldn't you just do it yourself like you're the you know you know all the people in the industry you could build something really cool and he's like no oh. i mean it sounds awesome but obviously i've got a racing series and i'm busy and i'm like yeah, I get it. And then after we started talking about it and putting the pieces together, and I have to say, you know, I had a sponsor that was in this space and it opened my eyes to that side of the industry. And then that was that whole Starwood Motors program where they were selling mm. basically 360 Jeeps a year, all outfitted. And people were like, yep, I'll take that. I don't want to have to do it myself. And I realized right. the number of people who would like a built up vehicle that don't necessarily want to do it themselves you know and and so um once we saw that there was such a big market for that it was like okay let's build something in a similar fashion um the next call was you know not the next call but we we had a whole bunch of stuff going and we had a whole bunch of ideas and as we vetted those out and, and did some due diligence it turned out that one of our partners was really the right person for the build and i didn't know it until brian harold over at fox introduced me to the people that were part of the fox factory group and said we can build these for you and that relationship has grown in the last year and a half to kind of a whole new level to where our, our partnership with them is is something very special and and you know the the fact that they allowed me to be the the sort of validation or or the person who said no we're not putting a light bar on it because light bars don't really don't you know we don't need a light bar for for this because all it does is light up the hood or the dust in front of you or whatever and they're like but everyone's got a light bar and i'm like yeah i know and they whistle in the wind and they're they're a joke right you can't use them it's just for show and i'm not about show it's it's performance first period and they let me have that and all the way through the process, which was really important to me if they wanted to be our partner. And so, you know, when we had a chance to use your skid plates all the way through the whole car, 
I was like, this is the highest quality thing. And then, and they're dealing with, yeah, but they're heavy. And we have a GVW thing where we have to stay under for vehicle sales. And I'm like, we'll find other places to cut weight. We're not cutting weight on the skid plates right now. I mean, maybe we can high tech some materials here and there, lose some areas where, you know, we thin it out, but that's future stuff. The fact is, is that you make the best skid plate in the industry. I wanted to make sure that we had that incorporated on there. You know, I've obviously got some bumper designs and things that have my accents that I wanted on there from that standpoint. Um, rocker panels with basically like no no points underneath them that hit anything. So they were smooth when you transition around on rocks. Because we all know it's like we, we've been out there on the trail. It's You get stuck on one little bolt. You don't right. get stuck on the, the main skid plate, right? It's like right. the one little bolt that sticks down is what hangs you up. And so... You know, we we basically got our, our way on having everything be just the way we wanted it. And it's subdued, right? The graphics are are ghosted in. The the seats are, are awesome and have the trails like etched into them, but they're not like in bright yellow or pink or fluorescent green, right? right? Everything's right. subdued and cool and clean and kind of timeless. And that was something that we all wanted to go after. But that launch is the most successful one the Fox PVD team's ever had. You know, people would wow. come up to it and say... And it blew my mind, but people would, you you know, you go to these vehicle launches and it's kind of unfortunate, but people's attitude is that they want to pick it apart. And they kept right. going up and saying, huh. I mean, the thing that I heard three or four times is, well, this is the Bronco I wish they made. Or look, this is the Bronco, <laughs> right. this is the Bronco edition Jeep Rubicon. And you're like, oh, cool. That's kind of what I was going for. You know, that That's was cool. The, that was my feeling behind it was this is a usable one. And and what's really neat is like we're already working on version 2.0 for next year so that we can mm -hmm. have some updates because there's new cool parts that have come out, right? I mean, Quinn at 74 Weld that made my portals now has a steering rack upgrade. Um, there's, oh, wow. you know, some, there's some, Much like needed. we talked about, yes, 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 Quinn, you're the man. He's built a, a nice part there. And it's neat to work with those people, especially, you know, like with you too. But like we, we've got ideas and things that we can develop and build to make them even better. We're going to keep pushing that envelope. And so, you know, we're, we're getting allocations next year, it looks like. So we'll have even more sales and it's just a nice, a nice program. And I'm excited to, uh, to grow it. And, you know, I'm not done. I have, uh, I have some other vehicle builds I want to do right now. Now that we know the formula, we kind of learned um, over the last year and a half what it takes. Um, and so we're going to work with some other partners on building some, additional vehicles um in some of the same partners too just to do some other vehicles in those lineups so it's it's cool it's uh I well it's cars. been a funny it's been a fun experience for us too because we just haven't played that game right so it's a lot we've learned in fact our um sport gate for the bronco was originally designed and this is the first time we've built something on collaboration so a lot of communications been going back and forth on the sport gate so that ultimately the product that's being released and the product that's being on there has input from both sides, which has been great for us because it's been a great amount of feedback on what they need, what they want versus just what our ideas are. Right. And it's, and I, so we're, we're looking forward to it. It's going to be a great product. Um, and it ultimately no, I feel is the same much way. better than Sport it was. It's going to be so cool. And, and thank you guys. You know, this is, goes back to, I mean, our industry, right? We make it strong. We make it not fail. We make it steel. And it's like, well, we need to make it strong, not fail. We need to make it out of aluminum so we can save the weight. And it's like, right. Okay. And so you go through a whole design thing. We've got engineers, we've got things, but what the end of the day product is, and this is what's so important is it's an OEM quality product. And that, mm. that really says a lot. You know, I, I brought a friend in to try to do fender flares, carbon fiber fender flares to have a nice accent, but still be removable for trails and things like that. And, and we failed. 
we failed. We tried and we tried, but we didn't have the carbon weave down. We didn't have, we had excess glue. It didn't look great. It had all these problems. When we found a supplier that could make the OEM quality, you start to realize, okay, you know, a consumer level product like that, that's not an aftermarket product. It has mm -hmm. to have the carbon weave has to be the same all the way through the product or like in the sunlight, they look at it and the weaves off and they want to return it because it doesn't look quite right. And you're like, right. Okay. And so I've learned at a whole nother level what's required um, to do these builds. And, and honestly, it just makes you better, right? It's, it's one of those things at first you want to be like, oh, come on. And then you go, nope, we want to be the best. We have to learn how to do it. We have to be better than that. We have to keep moving on. And so continual improvement on all of our parts to make the right product. But it, I think at the end of the day, when you get done with it, you're like, yeah, we're a better company because of it. And we're better people because of it. And we're better designers because of it. And so it's it's all good and and I enjoy the whole process. So I'm excited that we're doing it. And I can't wait to do more vehicles because I have my like my whole thought process <laughs> on it is like, oh, I've got this so figured out now. I can't wait to build this one. So well anything we can be a part of. Yeah, it's just it's, it's always a fun way to learn. Yeah, it's 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 extraordinary. And uh just being able to build something. And again, it's it's not only about building the, the best product, because I think we, we all strive for that, right? We're striving to build the best product. We're trying to take care of our customers with the best product, but it's, you are putting together a package and you, and I know for the fact that some people are going to buy that package, have certain levels of expectations. You know, over the years, we've had customers who come from many different backgrounds and, you know, as the Jeep became more and more popular, more people were come from different backgrounds, hot rod backgrounds that decided they wanted to build a Jeep. Not understanding that Jeeps themselves are so varied you give me 100 jeeps i'll give you 100 different measurements on the same exact part so fitment is always a little issue we've done a great amount of effort within our stuff and with our development of product to make sure that fitment is easy but it's always a little bit off when you used to get calls from from uh from, yeah i remember getting a call from a customer he had just built he built hot rods all his life and he was so upset that there was a gap where the fender flare mounted in like why is there a gap there right but just not understanding you can do what you can to build it, but when you're building something like that for the Bronco, you're building something where this is a complete package. Everything has to be right. Everything has to be perfect. It does. And, and like, you know, an interesting side note is the difference, right, is we got Ford CAD versus we scanned mm. it from SEMA mm. and got the SEMA scan, right? right? So you're starting with a really good platform, although the files are huge and transferring them is hard. And, <laughs> you know, thank God my SolidWorks engineers are are cool with those big files and they can, you know, we had, but we literally had to upgrade computers and stuff to work on these files. So, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's cool. And, and I'm, we didn't, I'm we didn't you. get the files until recently. I think recently we got them, but I think we were, cause we checked into it early on and they weren't available. And so we just scanned everything and we're building yeah. all our stuff off of that. Wow. No, it's been, it's been awesome. And, and, you know, some of those decisions are, are interesting, right? You get your skid plate integrating into my skid plate and you're like, okay, mm -hmm. it needs to stack like shingles so you can still slide over the rock and then you have to make those little calls along the way and then you got to realize hey somebody's got to change the oil on this thing someday so you have to make it removable right <laughs> right and so you know every little detail that uh that goes on in these is, is kind of a fun part of the project but are they for I'm sale excited now? for it what's the, what's the they're deal? For, they sale for sale now go to kohbronco.com and they're they're getting dealers to work with the inner so obviously for broncos allocation is still uh, way behind and it's only from the original customer orders right so there's still sure. about 90 80,000 i think customer orders that are still awaiting their build from the um last three years of the launch two and a half whatever and yeah. so well, three three right now actually feels like a kickstarter campaign yeah 
Um, but I mean, they had such overwhelming demand from day one. It, I think it was, you know, way, way more than the production team ever expected to build, right? When they were thinking, I hope we build 50,000 of these a year. And next thing you know, you got a couple hundred thousand orders the first day. It's like, oops. Um, right. So, you know, they, they ramped up and the supply chain issues were, were rampant. And so what's happening now is, and if you guys want one, there's a way we can work through this, but basically people are doing what's called a refusal. They show up because it didn't end up with a hard top or they didn't have the packages that they wanted available. So they went ahead and built it anyway and said, here's 90% what you wanted. You want it? And I'll say, nah, not exactly. We can take that Bronco. We can put lockers in it. We can put all the rest of the King of the Hammers edition package in it. So we can take any Bronco right now that is available out there and turn it into a King of the Hammers edition Bronco. Um, they never have to come to the dealer. We can have them ship directly from Ford to us. We'll upfit it and then ship it to your dealer. So um, pretty easy process right now because there's quite a few of those going on. And just to give everyone the heads up, if it doesn't have lockers, um, what we're doing to them right now is putting in a Dana 60 in the rear and a Dana 44 in the front from Spicer with the e-lockers already in them. So oh, wow. you wow. get kind of an upgrade if you buy the, the non-lockered uh, Bronco. Although I don't think that you really need them. Because the, we've had a lot of testing on the Broncos and they run fine on 37s with the with the stock drivetrain, which is a 44 in the rear and things. But if you uh, if you do get one without it, you get a Dana 60 rear, Dana 44 front, and the nice. total price is really close to the same. Because without the lockers from the factory, uh, the price is enough of a difference there that it's not much more to end up with the Dana 60 package. So pretty cool. That, that's that's awesome. That's awesome. I know you gotta you gotta bust out here pretty quickly. Uh, hey. Really appreciate you joining us. Now, what's next on you? You're just gonna you're not gonna race any of the season. You're just basically you you build your car for KOH. So that's the next time we'll see you racing, or what? It will be, but I will tell you this: we are going to be down there uh, practicing and testing. I'm I'm excited. Our new engine's a few weeks away here from um, being back together, and it was actually the original engine <laughs> that got rebuilt and took this long kind of deal. Um, right. And so that one's going back in while this one goes in for rebuild and we'll be back down there practicing we're going to do some simulated race runs and uh see if we can't get all the little bugs worked out of it to where we have something that we know we can go be competitive in again next year and, and put that effort into it um i'm excited about it that's for sure that's awesome well jason thanks for joining us thank you for being out here modern jeepers you know you can reach out to jason anytime and uh you, your fan page instagram facebook all that stuff yeah, hit me up. I uh, I'm not on the social much because I'm I'm jamming all the time. But I uh, I do uh, appreciate being on your show and and definitely if you want to do another one anytime soon, you know we can catch up on other topics and things like that. But uh, I always appreciate your uh, you hosting these and uh, love working with you, Matson. So we'll see you on the trails. Certainly, uh, whatever happens with Jeepers Jamboree, we'll we'll be there if it's uh, delayed or on time or uh, whatever the plan is. So we'll see you guys out there. Well, definitely. And I think that's the next thing is we just need to get out of the trail, man. You and I, we need yeah. to go wheeling. I need, I know I sometimes need to be pulled out. So if you ever want to just grab me by the nape of the neck and throw yeah. me in my Jeep and say, let's go wheeling. I'm, I'm there. I'm there. Sounds like a plan. Well, Modern Jeepers, thanks for joining us for this another amazing episode. And uh, Jason, thanks for being here. And we will see you on the trails. This podcast will self-destruct in five, four, three, two, one.